0: Well, welcome back to The Bill Bennett Show, The Bill Bennett Podcast. We have thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. The end of this, uh, Claude, I want to mention the other podcast we're doing and have you uh, give people right. the link. Joining me today on my podcast is Joel Farkas. He's the director of the American Strategy Group, a very successful American businessman, excellent golfer. You know, he went to UCLA and almost made the golf team.
1: Right. I did not know that until uh, he shared fact, that with I'm me. I'm sorry. Right he was though. on the golf he team. Mm-hmm. And then almost went pro. Right. Yeah. It matters to you. Doesn't matter to me.
0: <laughs> uh, I am a fellow of the American Strategy Group in Washington, uh, where Joel is a director. So the thing when you're showing you're in opposition is not just show you're in opposition, but don't do harm and be creative. Okay. I think this is the creative political move of the week. Now, I've signaled my um, interest in, my friendship with, and, you know, just really has caught my attention. And support uh, Ron DeSantis who is, you know, maybe going to run for president. And he's, you know, taking in a lot of money and talking Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Get this, Claude. This is how you show you're different. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said on Thursday he will pardon anyone charged with breaking COVID-19 protocols, such as not wearing a mask and social distancing. Okay. (laughs) It's because people have been arrested and convicted. Right, right. The governor made the remarks after two gym owners, Mike and Jillian Carnival, faced criminal penalties for refusing to enforce these protocols. DeSantis said he would order a 16-day, 60-day reprieve for the gym owners that would delay their cases. During that time, a clemency board will meet to issue pardons to the gym owners and Florida residents who have similar charges against them. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Let me finish it. When our clemency board meets in the coming weeks, we'll issue pardons not only for Mike and Jillian, but for any Floridian who may have outstanding infractions for things like masks or social distancing, DeSantis said, according to CBS News. He then added, these things with health should be advisory. They should not be punitive. And, of course, you know, as we're talking, CDC is revised, yet once again, you can take the mask off. Marty McH- Marty McCarry was really right mm-hmm. when he said, April, it's going to open up in April. And um, I was hearing somebody this morning saying, let's have a mask burning. But um, you better save it because, you know, doom may still be coming.
1: Oh, right. But uh, what do you think of that, uh, by the way? This It's clever, isn't it? It's definitely clever. Number one, anyone having any kind of criminal charges because they're not wearing a mask or socially distancing is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. not something that should be ridiculous. a criminal charge, number one. Number two, you also have all these uh, guidelines that change from day to day with the CDC, but then also that doesn't really affect anyone's state or local um, uh, jurisdictions I mean we have uh, the governor even in Maryland uh, who will say one thing but then the counties can decide what they want to do and then even businesses can, small businesses can decide what they want to do so you've got all this confusion about who can do what and or, or what you can do and where, where you can do it I don't want to do kind of you know, mask burning or anything like that but you know there's a lot that we know now that we didn't know this time last year but we're still acting as if we don't know what we now know just gonna revise that old philosophical thing. Mm-hmm.
0: It's complicated, but uh, Plato: He who knows not mm-hmm. and knows that he knows not is a wise man. Follow him.
1: <laughs> well, there you he, go. He who knows not mm-hmm. and does not know that he knows
0: not is a fool. Mm-hmm. Shun him. Mm-hmm. We got here is he he or she who knows but won't reveal it to the rest of us is. Not a good public servant. Right. Anyway, let's let's get this over with. Let's get out and, you know, get <laughs> outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they still haven't issued guidance for camp. Right. So kids are supposed to be wearing masks and summer camps and summer sports camps.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're playing basketball, University of Maryland. I took my kid to University of Maryland. Sure. Basketball camp. And uh, you got to wear a mask under the basket.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Playing soccer. You, you, really?
1: It really? Was, um uh, women's softball. uh, uh, that was on yesterday, and there was a young lady who makes a great catch in the outfield, and she's got this mask on. And Sierra's thinking, so she says, Why is she wearing a mask? Like, why are they mandated? She's in the number one, she's in the outfield, she's in the she's outfield. outfield, not even in the and infield. She's outside,
0: she's got at least like 30, 40 yards.
1: Yes, exactly. Crazy. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't even make sense if they had to wear them in the dugout, but suppose that was the rule. When you're out playing, you don't have to take it off, but when you're in the dugout with everyone else, put it on. That would even, That would make sense. But to have it on outside, what you're playing doesn't make any sense at all. No sense at all. Well, I mean, the same thing, so I play golf. And, you know, you could, you could have played golf this time last year. But when we go to play, you've got to put your mask on when you're in the clubhouse. But they don't allow anyone in the clubhouse. I mean, outside of just paying for your round. But then when you go outside the clubhouse and you're playing with other people, you know, you're putting on the green. Sometimes you're three feet from people, two feet. You know, you dap up if someone makes a good shot. And, no, and you don't have to wear a mask. Again, it doesn't make sense that if you go inside the clubhouse to pay, you have to wear a mask, even though they're not allowing anyone in there. And, but when you're outside, it, you can take it off. But if you're on the practice green driving range and you walk past people, you don't have to have a mask on. It doesn't – yeah. it's inconsistent, it doesn't, and it doesn't make sense. How
0: about this other item? Uh, I'll ask Joel about it, but the pipeline, this pipeline that was closed, is now open. Mm-hmm. See how they got it open? They paid, they paid a ransom for mm-hmm. $5 million. Wow.
1: Why isn't that big
0: news? Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible precedent. I remember the old thing about, you know, never bargain, never give the money to the kidnapper, mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. never bargain with a terrorist, right. just encourages him to do it again. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, apparently a lot of hacks this week took place. And, um, you know, they just paid these guys off. Mm-hmm. I, I know Five million, I guess, for this company is not that huge a number. But goodness gracious, yeah. that's really
2: something. hmm
0: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. All right, let's welcome Joel Farkas back to the show. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. I'm a fellow at the American Strategy Group in Washington. Let's talk a little bit about oil for a minute, just the pipeline. You know about oil. What do we make of this disruption, and what do we make of a uh, $5 million ransom? I mean, how, how come that's not bigger news? Didn't we used to always say, don't give them the money to kidnappers, don't bargain with terrorists? Don't."
2: Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to um, because, it I mean, obviously it's going to encourage the next one and the next one. This is an oil story. This is a national security story. Um, it's a supply chain story. The easiest way to avoid getting taken hostage like this pipeline company is to not depend on this kind of just-in-time sort of supply chain where everyone that went to business school says this is the most effective, efficient way to operate a company. Well, uh, all you have to do is is take something down for a few days or a week and the entire company and the entire system is broken. That's nuts. The way to fix, the way to avoid if you could go hire a bunch of very smart people to avoid uh, you know, protect your um, your company, protect your site, your security from cyber attacks. But you could also have a redundant supply that's not uh, you know, decimating your company if some little thing like this happens. It's not a little thing. Just in time supply, just in time. Yeah, ju- you know, yeah, just in time. You know, you. You try to figure out the most efi- efficient way to deliver the product at the time that people need it I see. so that you don't have to have too much capacity and too much storage and too much of all these other, other things. But these other things are redundant, uh, uh, infrastructure so that you don't get attacked when someone does this to you.
0: That's very interesting.
2: And if you, if you're not vulnerable to an attack, there's really, there's two basic ways. Try to protect against the attack. Or don't be vulnerable to an attack. Both work. Yeah, I got you. That's very interesting. That
0: just in time, we I took advantage of that theory and that practice uh, when I was director of drug policy for President Bush, Bush the first, because we had a plan. It was a good plan. We never put into effect it to, to disrupt the uh, shipment of cocaine uh, into the United States. We found out there were three cocaine processing plants. And they were, I guess, a new phrase for me, all just-in-time plants. And we had a plan to take all three of them out one night. And it would have uh, stopped the flow of cocaine into the United States in 1989 for six months. Wow. Which gives you, you yeah. know, which means the price goes up, gives you time to help people and so on. Big fight in the cabinet about it. I lost the fight, but we should, we should have done it. But they had that same thing. Well, they were just processing only what
2: they needed to ship out because they didn't have capacity. What you described is exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's a very good analogy.
0: Okay. Um, I want, we got so many things to talk about. Uh, talk about Israel. You sent me some very interesting things this morning. Uh, tell me how you see this. How serious is this situation now with uh, Hamas and Israel? And Iran, I assume, is behind Hamas, right?
2: Yes, I mean, Hamas doesn't have thousands of rockets they manufacture based on Russian technology. So, of course, Iran is behind it. Um It's very serious. It's also a continuation of Hamas's ideology, which is, let's not forget, it's to destroy, annihilate, and decimate Israel. That's the ideology of Hamas. And that's the ideology of Iran. Destroy, annihilate, decimate Israel. And lest we not forget that. What's also very serious is the fact that many of our elected officials, almost all of whom are in the Democrat Party, actually seem to be changing their opinion on whether or not Israel has the right to defend herself and whether or not Israel is provoking these kinds of issues, these kinds of opinions foisted by the liberal left-wing people of the Democrat Party. Are just, are just so lacking of context, history, fact of any sort. It, it is a rabid opinion designed to uh, you know, throw themselves into a political conflict. And for those listeners who want to discern what I'm saying, I would like you to try to find one time, that any of those left-wing progressive radicals in the Democrat Party say that Hamas, their goal, backed by Iran, is to decimate, annihilate, exterminate Israel. You will find that never comes up. Yeah, It's glossed over. It's ignored. It's almost like it's a non-fact in their nomenclature. It's
0: surely the case. So
2: it's what, surely the case. So what does that, what does that mean? Uh, then everybody else jumps in, um, you know, <laughs> jumps into the fray that uh, comedians, late night comedians, actors, actresses, people, they jump in and they—and—and and the discussion turns to Israel has tremendous ability to defend herself. Israel, should Israel defend herself? When Israel defends herself, is there some sort of civilian tragedies that occur on the other side? Of this? So if you ignore the fact that someone wants to annihilate you, the topic now becomes that you shouldn't defend yourself. Now that's absurd. Now that we all know that's
0: absurd. We know this of you of the progressives. I have not heard every comment, but I've heard I think several of the comments of the president and I don't agree with him on a whole heck of a lot, but I thought he was pretty clear and leading with saying Israel's got a right to defend itself. Yes, no? Well, yeah, he said that.
2: Yeah, he absolutely said that. What is he doing? So yes, there's no doubt he said exactly what you just described. But did he denounce those who say Israel does not have the right to defend herself. No, and why not? They're his caucus. Well,
0: I mean, this is really dangerous. Uh, By the way, do you think these attacks take place when Trump's
2: president? (laughs) No, and what took place when Trump was president was six Arab countries normalizing relations with Israel. That's what took place. when trump was president have you ever seen
0: have you ever seen a greater contrast we were talking i should mention this to you because you're kind of the godfather or grandfather if you don't mind of this (laughs) um you know you are but you you and the american strategy group are very generous supporters of this podcast and out of it spawned another podcast which is self-supporting because uh, i think you've probably heard some of my discussions with lord black conrad black well um Yes, there's a podcast now that uh, I do with Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson, and uh, we talk about these things. And it's spun out of this podcast. So uh, hats off to you for being kind of the godfather or grandfather of this uh, of this segment.
2: The messages need to be out, and you're. Yeah, you're a great beacon.
0: Well, it's a it's a wonderful thing to do. And but what we said in the in the in the in the black uh, uh, Hansen podcast, I asked them, has there ever been a greater contrast in successive presidencies than this one uh, from and I, I didn't anticipate it. I thought Biden would govern more center, center left. But this left, I mean, swing, this left kind of plunge um, from Trump to to Biden and you know the, the uh, Victor Hansen said maybe Carter to Reagan but not as dramatic. Uh, I'd agree with that. Not as dramatic as this. This is really like night and day, right? Black and white.
2: Yeah it, it, it is and and you know one more one more comment on the uh, on the Israel situation. Um there's only about 18 million Jews in the world and it, more than 80% of them live in two two countries, the United States and Israel. So when we talk about this israeli-palestinian conflict and we talk about um, which countries weigh in and what their opinions are we already know where where jews feel safe in the world there's 182 countries in the world plus or minus they feel safe basically in two places the united states and israel other than maybe france and england and uh, in canada which has several hundred thousand jews there's really not many jews anywhere else in the world why it's unsafe now, I, I would turn that around this is my opinion. Um, therefore, why should Israel or the Jewish people put much credence in what these other 180 countries say about Israel's right to defend sure. herself?
0: Sure, but they should put some credence, and they certainly, seriously, what that other country that houses so many Jews, the United States, says and does. Yes. That matters. Yes. How does and it that, divide, by the that way? That matters. How does it divide if you've got a, a rough... My math, in my head. Fifteen million Jews divided between Israel and
2: the U.S. Oh, you know how many? About eight and a half, eight eight and a half or so in Israel, and six and a half, seven or wow. so, seven wow. and a half in the United States. Wow! Wow! That's more really, more yeah. in Israel than
0: yeah, amazing. And it's really amazing. And then the other three million scattered around the world. It's, I had no
2: idea of the rest that, of that.
0: Wow! So how will this come out, Joel? What do you think?
2: I think a lot of it has to do with the vigilance. This comes back to American politics. It comes back, I think, to the vigilance of the United States citizenry on putting pressure on elected officials, the senators and congressmen, to have unwavering, unyielding support for the only democracy in the Middle East, and this is this is one of the this is one of the, the very significant um, uh, political issue that the Biden administration we're going to see in the next few months what they do or don't do about it. Not what they say, what they do or don't do about it, because it, it certainly looks like the conflict, the war, the shooting. and the the launching of missiles is going to continue and escalate.
0: And you think this leftward drift of the party is manifest in the the Biden administration here? I mean, it obviously is in in other areas we've already seen, but you think it is manifest here in policy toward
2: Israel or will be? It it has been manifested for years in leftist policy in America. Uh, You know, up until recently... The only debate from a sitting president and sitting administration was the level of support yeah. for Israel. Now we're talking about whether or not the level of support. We're talking about whether Israel should be allowed to defend herself.
0: Shocking. Yeah, it really is shocking. Shocking. What about this spending? He's got you know, he had $2 trillion. <laughs> He got through and now he's proposing another $4 trillion, you know, with the um, infrastructure and then... Another two trillion in the so-called Family Act. I mean, what what is going on here? Somebody said the other day, if we, you know, if we're making such progress in space, if we find life on Mars, Biden will send some money up there.
2: <laughs> well, it's a great way to expand the demand for cryptocurrencies because if 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 a country's uh, currency has no value. Uh, or, or diminishing value, uh, then the argument that a cryptocurrency has no- nothing to back it and support it, um, you know, becomes kind of uh, specious. I, it's it, it, I, I mean, there's supposed to be a store of value behind a country's currency with their stability, with their freedoms, with their liberty, with their ability to stand up and be stand behind, you know, their debts. And the the criticism of cryptocurrencies is they have none of that. They're just it's just a trading mechanism. Well, apparently um, the the United States government wants to turn the dollar into a cryptocurrency just a trading mechanism and um by and they do that by spending profligate spending um with no regard for how you're ever going to gonna pay it um that's that's uh, my my humorous not so humorous take on where the dollar's headed, it's going to be a Bitcoin pretty soon.
0: So we're going to inflation.
2: Yes. Anyone who doesn't believe that we are in inflation right now is not paying attention. Okay. Dude. Lumber prices have gone up two to three times in yeah. the last several months. Yeah. Almost any, com- almost any commodity on anything that someone is as an input, you know, uh, the, 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 sweeteners from orange juice and sweeteners and, and things that go into the drinks that, that, that are, that are being manufactured almost, along almost any manufacturing side, not in the, co- just in the country, but in the world, the commodities that go into it are have ever increasing prices. That means inflation. The the economists and the federal government hasn't detected it through their measurements yet, but we have it. it, it it's not going to happen. It exists. Gasoline prices. It's not just because of the pipeline shutdown. Right. Right, right.
0: I was just thinking it, that too. Yeah. It was they were going up before I, I mean, that? In, in,
2: in California, my daughter filled up her Jeep. One hundred and four dollars. Wow. To fill up her Jeep Cherokee.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you, you know.
2: It, that that is the quintessential definition of inflation it's not going to happen it exists
0: let's move on to these intriguing articles you sent me and I'm going to ask you a hard question, connect up what we've been talking about, Biden spending, inflation even Israel um, exercise of American power to this fascinating debate which you are expert on and you are leading me through it like a tutor uh, and an apprentice and I'm the apprentice about urbanization and suburbanization. If I can put it that way, uh, urbis and suburbis, um, what's, yeah, that's what, great. what's going, uh, what's going on here and why does it matter? And, and what I'm fascinated as you know, what aspect is particularly, what are the politics of this? But, but first lay it out. What, what's the debate
2: about? Um, the debate, and and again, uh, as you connect to the, the Biden administration, uh, Senator Cory Booker uh, just a year or two ago has started formally introducing legislation in, in the Senate to eliminate, the whole concept is, to eliminate single-family detached zoning. And one of the ways that Cory Booker is, Senator Booker is promoting this, is to say, federally, anywhere within the United States, all local governments, all 19,000 plus local governments, uh, it will be illegal for them to restrict attached higher density, high density housing within single family detached areas. What is that? What's the purpose of that? It is to create dense urban centers, dense places for people to live. Dense, And basically, it would then prohibit Less dense places for people to live—a home with a yard and and you know attached garages and things like that. Now, this is—we've had Minneapolis, Minnesota, who has passed um, uh, ordinances in the city to ban single-family detached zoning, and 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 the purpose again is to concentrate populations in urban areas not unlike China. China is the, one of the greatest promoters of urbanizing their entire population. Now, what is the uh, what is the reason behind it that uh, you know the environmental ecological reason everyone's heard the term suburban sprawl. So, Cory Booker, Senator Booker would say, we are trying to help the environment by eliminating suburban sprawl, which is an attack on the environment. That's the 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 justification for what I just said. Now, we know that, and and when I say we know, we can get into this in way more detail, but I would ask anyone who who just just step back and look and see what what When you look at a city, without criticizing the city, which I do oftentimes, a city is the least diverse, biodiverse structure to live in in the world. You don't have parks. You don't have open space. In many cases, you don't have you know, um, uh, hardly any species of birds or in in China that we, there's studies of when people see and live in a Chinese city, they see a squirrel, they take pictures of it, but it's almost unbelievable to even see one. Um, And and so you're living in a place and, and, and the food is not produced in the city. The energy is not produced in the city. The water is not produced in the city. These are things these are resources that are taken away from the suburban rural and far farther away environments and with tremendous amount of cost and energy brought to this urban environment. So the notion that a, that an urban core is more environmentally sensitive than a suburban or exurban quote unquote sprawling area is complete verifiable nonsense
0: but is the purpose here in their minds and hearts if even if they're mistaken to prevent the sprawl and environmental pollution or is the purpose otherwise political
2: the argument is they're preventing quote-unquote environmental damage the real reason is political control period because political control period it's easier to control your population if they're dependent on you to deliver electricity, to deliver gas, to deliver fuel, to deliver food, and to dictate to you what home you live in, how big it is, and where it is, and 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 the entire history of Europe and Asia in terms of I mean, how did these regimes over the last five plus thousand years control large swaths of area? They did it by doing what I just said: the rivers, the food. The energy, where people live. If they're concentrated and their supplies are either allowed or cut off by those in control, it's an easier way to control a large population. China China um, has always said that they are ameliorating poverty in China by taking their, their poor agricultural population and putting them in these cities. In tw- There's 20, 30 million plus people. And that is their Explanation of ameliorating poverty. Well, I would def- i would like somebody to go look at those cities of twenty and thirty million people and see how that population is living and existing today, and, and, and explain to me why that is not impoverished. It is now. It is not only impoverished. It is controlled it is dominated. And that is what China has done. And what did they do? Um, How did they support this? By supporting virtually every American university planning department with lots of money and lots of propaganda so that every single planning department in America is now called an urban planning department. And the founders of these planning departments are so proud of the fact that they have been a part of encouraging urbanization of China. UCLA's founder, is one of those. UCLA Urban Planning Department. Now, the people that are moving to these urban cores, these, somebody can easily Google the top 30 largest cities in the world. Look at the names of them and tell me that they're, they don't have the highest income inequality, the highest poverty, the worst health, the highest rate of disease. All of those cities have have those things in common. Do
0: you know off the, I'll ask Claude to look it up, but the top five or 10 cities Population
2: in the world? You know, I'm gonna guess, but the, my, you know, it might be. Uh, uh, it uh, you know, in India, days. yeah, look it up. They'd be in India. They'd be in China. Um, maybe Mexico City might be up there. Mumbai, Shanghai. Uh, you know, uh, there's a then there's there's a, actually Wuhan. Wuhan's in the top thirty. Believe it, it or not, Claude, you got it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So we've got Tokyo, Delhi, Shanghai, uh, Sao Paulo, and Mexico City.
0: Yeah, there you go. You're right, Joel. Mm-hmm. right on point. So those
1: are
2: yeah, you would not call those healthy places, right? And, so, they, and they don't and they, pro, they don't pro, they again, they don't produce Right. Their food supply. They don't produce their energy. Everything they get, those cities get, is taken. It's taken from some other place where the resource exists. And and so this notion. I mean, this is a contrived political notion to say everyone should live here. You should not live out there because when you live out there, you you just you know, you, you spoil the environment. Those out there places are not immune to being mined, so to speak, for their food, water, and resources, because the cities need them. All you're doing is not having people out there living, but right. you're still mining them. I got it.
0: Because they can control the flow of resources, like food and energy, it makes the populace, populace in those urban areas easier to control. They're habituated to being controlled, right? To being Correct. Coke, taken Correct. Care of. Yes. Now, but that is the a, political reason. But there's yes. a second thing, which I did not know, which I think I have, I read it correctly, brought to light in this paper you sent me by Professor uh, Berger, which yes. is that, in fact, in terms of pollution, the whole suburban sprawl argument that the uh, suburbs are worse polluters than
2: the cities is not true. It's not true. It's, it's correct. It's not true. Okay. I kind of suggested when you mine these you know, these things that we just talked about, food, water, uh, energy, the like, uh, goods, services, the cost of, of movement and the transportation of them and the storage of them in the vicinity of a large population center. Um, the you know, if, if you look at the energy cost of a 40 story building versus a single family detached house, the idea is, well, in a 40 story building, you're not using up much land. But so that's the reason why it's kind of propagated that, you know, using more land is, 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 is bad. But that's ignoring how you, you still have the same, these people that you have that are, that are getting housed, clothed, fed, uh, warmed, cooled. And it doesn't change the fact. So, so when you have to take all that energy and move it to that place, it's tremendously expensive as tremendously impactful on the environment. again, um, so that so that's that's the reason why the, the only thing the only thing that people living further away uh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, there might be a few others, but the only substantial thing that is more impactful by people living in suburbs extra, rural, more rural areas is whether or not, They use a car to travel to the urban center. We know most of them by doing our traffic studies and empirical evidence. When people are living in the outer out lying areas, most of their trips are with their their vehicle trips are within their community or within the general vicinity of the community. If you have the belief that people living out there, in order to work, have to drive into the city, then when you model that, you're gonna you're gonna come up with a lot of vehicle miles traveled by a car going from the suburbs to the urban area because they have to they, they believe they have to work there. Well, guess what? People don't have to work in the urban core anymore. And, and, and this trend has been going on for more than a decade. People are not working in the urban core. They're working somewhere else. The job dispersion, where jobs are dispersed, are all over the country. So why in the world would you not live near where you're working? And that is in the suburbs, and that is in the exurbs, and that is in more rural areas. Claude and I are sitting here in what we call
0: the swamp, D.C.,
1: and, you know, from yeah.
0: well, maybe not lately with COVID, but normal non-COVID days, you know, from 7 in the morning to 9.30, there's nothing but bumper to bumper coming into the city from Virginia, from Maryland, into the city. Government. Government jobs. Yes, yeah.
2: well, that That is an anomaly. It okay. happens. Right, in, it is an with, anomaly. Let me give you another example. So, it, it, you know, we often hear this city argument from tech companies. We often hear it from people like Michael Bloomberg and Jamie Dimon, you gotta be in the center of where we are in the center of the financial center of New York and London and and, and Hong Kong and the like, you gotta be there. Well, interesting, Bloomberg, their highest priced, most desired financial terminal they sell to the financial world is called Bloomberg Anywhere, meaning you buy this terminal, and you have it has it has enough. Uh, it's designed to where you can be anywhere in the world to do whatever it is that you do. And the reason that's such a desired product is because most of these people are not going to continue to say they need to live in New York or London or Hong Kong or anywhere else. COVID and the pandemic has accelerated a trend that has been going on. We 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 are documenting this with all with the data. Um, we'll probably have, uh, you know, our updated numbers sometime towards the end of the summer, but we're documenting something we've empirically seen has happened. And, and, you know, we, some of our prior conversations, we've talked about, you know, U-Haul trucks, the rate of taking it out of a city versus bringing a U-Haul yeah. truck back into a city. But there's, uh, there's a myriad of other uh, documented uh, evidence where people are choosing, they are making these choices on their own. To, to go not not only pack up and leave from one state to another one region to another but let's even we even see that when they want to stay let's say they want to stay in california and not leave california which is not that common but it's it's not you know it happens what they're doing is they're leaving the city la san diego san francisco and they're moving to the farther suburbs of those regions. So they don't have to just leave the state or the region. But what is, you know, so, that, so that's always a political question. Again, which state is gaining population, which state is not, losing population. However, what's unequivocal and unassailable is the abandonment of people from cities, from urban areas. Exactly. And that is why the exactly. Biden administration is currently trying to attack that issue.
0: Well, except maybe D.C., as you noted, but uh, and, and, and I think that's true because no matter what, government grows, you know. This city yeah, grows yes. and the government employees grow. And, you know, it's been said, well, you know, your house there on the edge of Washington, D.C., going to increase in value because this place will never shrink. And I, I don't think it's yeah. shrunk uh, here during COVID. Now, can we do a test case uh, just imaginatively? Uh, New York. Sure. So I saw the mayor with his uh, – mask off eating a burger uh, and he said hey all right though we're open for business let's go you know what is going to happen with new york some people will come back <clears throat> right will a lot of people come back Will it be back where it was yeah pre-covid what do you think
2: yeah i i here's what i i i, I don't um cities are, are always going to be here we're not going to i don't want to imply that cities right. will be ghost towns right. But there's no reason for for New York to be eight, ten, 10, or 12 million people. What if New York were 3 to 5 million people? And that, that, that's fine. It doesn't have to be triple that size. So, yeah, New York's going to be fine. Um, but what, you know, the, Frank Lloyd Wright, had, the, the famed architect, said citizens are cities, not the other way around citizens are the cities. Where the citizens are are where the cities are. Nice, now, nice, in man. New York, you're going to have very wealthy people. You're going to have a lot of wonderful cultural uh, opportunities. Are you going to have a, um, a, fam- a young family of two, three, four, five kids living in the New York City and raising them? No. Okay, you're not going right. to. Why? For obvious reasons. Okay. That part of the citizenry isn't going to live there.
0: Let me push on this. Can we stay with this example for a while? Is that okay with you? Yeah, me? yeah. That, um, because it, it, it's a great thought experiment. It's one we can track, too. Um, a, the cities aren't going to disappear. New York's not going to disappear, uh, sh- for sure. B, uh, this is to be distinguished from people moving from one state to another, the way America's going red, that Californians are going to Nevada, and New Yorkers are going to Florida, well, maybe everybody's going to Florida and Texas. you know, a lot it. of people,
2: a lot of people are going. Governor DeSantis is it might be the best realtor in America.
0: Best realtor. That's great. That's great. I gotta I'll tell him that. Um Okay. So New York all right, you said what doesn't have to be eight to ten million, it can be four to six million. Will it be? Yeah. Is that is that a we won't hold you to it, but is that a prediction? Is that what you think will, will
2: happen? Yes. Uh, well, I not only think it will happen, I think it is happening.
0: Okay, because um, – well, but, I, but, I, I, Yeah. But part of it, part of that is COVID, right? People have fled. But we're, well, uh, now, we're yeah, now talking so, so about – We're now talking – I'm now thinking about not the people who moved to Florida, but the people who moved out on to Long Island and Jersey suburbs, New York suburbs. Uh uh-huh. They're not coming back.
2: No. Okay. No, they're not. And that, and that and that description was what I was referring to. You don't have to leave the region. You don't have to leave the state. Yeah, but yeah. what you're going to do is you're going to move to the more suburban or exurban areas within the same region. But it, it's a it's a, it's an urban to suburban exodus, not necessarily a state or a region to another state or a region exodus.
0: I talked to a uh, a friend whose daughter's going to work in New York. She was saying, the daughter was saying how high the rents were. And then she just updated and said, she said the rents were very high, but they've actually come down.
2: Yeah. A lot. A lot. A lot. They've come down a lot now. And again, um, back to, uh, you know, where the the citizen is the city. Uh, It depends on what stage of your life you're in. It depends on what your goals and aspirations are it depends on you know and, and those things in someone's life change they change throughout their life what you do at 24 years old is not what you do at 34 or 44 or 84 they're all different um i i, I would say if the american population chooses to not have have families and raise kids you know that that will affect the fact that People may more of those people may want to live in the city, so that's a that's a, a, another another uh, you know issue to put into the mix. But we are seeing we are seeing that you know kids that are now getting into their late twenties, early thirties, and the like. We, we're seeing a pretty good continuation of family formation and 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 kids and raising those when you and when you have that lifestyle when you have that interest that goal that aspiration you are absolutely not going to raise that family in san francisco downtown l.a or new york just not going to you could not possibly you could not possibly afford to even if you had this impetus and this taste to want to you could never afford to raise that family in those locales. I know
0: uh, someone very well, the two uh, kids who, in 20s, 30s, family lives in the suburbs. Kids grew up in the suburbs. Immediately went into the city for their first purchase, rent, or buy. Because mm-hmm. they wanted to be of the city. Yep. Yeah. There a year or so and said, eh, I think we want to come back to where mom and dad were. Or at least not in the house, but that neighborhood. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that neighborhood.
0: Uh, the depredations. And of the dep- there are depredations of urban life. I mean, there are incivilities and worse and, yes, and crime and all sorts of other things going on, too.
2: There's a lot of bad things that are not easily contained. That's part and, of the environment. And, and those are yeah. also... Yeah, that is part of the environment. and then, But uh, the other part is, uh, at some point in time, it, it seems like it's a pretty nice thing to be able to live near your parents and your grandparents and have your kids live near them what 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 a great idea yeah babysitters you know (laughs) what a great idea to to live with your parents and grandparents i was
0: jealous of my son when he was born my older son you know him well i was jealous of him with the attention he got i thought it was over now but now we got a grandson man it's double whammy (laughs) But my jealousy aside, he's got a great deal with Mimi. Yeah, because Mimi, Mimi's arms are always open. <laughs>
2: always, Give me that. Always available. Give me that, baby. I have attended in my career, my 40-year real estate career, more than 1,600 Planning Commission, City Council, County Commissioner, and Homeowners Association meetings. Uh, and probably way more than that, probably. And the one common theme that... I have heard in virtually every one of those meetings has been, I wish my kids and my grandkids could afford to live where I grew up and where I live. But they can no longer so afford they have to it. go somewhere else.
0: Can't afford it. Can't afford it. So do you go to the city because it's more affordable?
2: That, that's not why, well, they, that's no, not, that's not yeah, why they go no. to the
0: city. That's not why these kids yeah. make the exodus to New York, which is now I agree with you, slowing
1: down, diminishing.
2: And, and it's not as if, you know, we use the word city as if it's one homogenous definition.
1: Right. What we're really talking about is very
2: large cities. But all these other places we're talking about in suburban and, and exurban yeah. and rural areas, they're cities, too. Yeah, Tulsa's a city, um, right? Yeah, Raleigh. Yeah, yeah right. it's a city. And, and Professor Joel Kotkin, you know, describes them as an archipelago of cities. So they're, they're interconnected, but there's these regions that are in other areas that are more dispersed more diverse, both from a, a, a citizen standpoint as well as biodiversity. and But they're just not concentrated in one area. The the, the, um, the land use of human population in America is just a little more than 3% of the land in America. We're not running out of land. 3%? A little bit more than 3% is where physically people live
0: in America. Well, your judgment yeah. about these things really depends on where you grew up, isn't it? I mean, I... I would have thought, growing up in Brooklyn, we were using about ninety percent.
2: <laughs> get on an airplane, anyone? Get on an airplane from LA to New York or I DC, know. and I look know. out the window. There's nothing there. I
0: know. All right, wrap, wrap this up, Joel. The bur- bur- suburban, urban. Look out for this legislation coming. This will be what'll be another two trillion dollar package to build high rises
2: and get rid of single single home dwellings. Yeah. Um, to wrap it up, um, the the Biden administration is not going to change. They are unpersuadable uh, to care about what we've just discussed. They know this. They're aware of this. They want to do what they want to do, and you cannot possibly persuade them that this is Fact, good. Not by facts. However. Let me interrupt then,
0: one second. If you can't persuade yeah. them that there's not a crisis at the border, you can't persuade them in the basis of <laughs> facts of anything.
2: Yes. you're, you're Very ahead. well put. Go ahead. Very good, good connection. But I'll tell you who is persuaded, because it's their idea, not mine or anyone else's or, no, or, or any professor's idea. It's the American citizen, and actually citizens all over the world, this is not an American phenomenon we're finding. It is tens of millions of people who are making these choices that we just described. They, I'm just describing what the people are already doing, yes. tens of millions of people. Packing up and leaving, going somewhere else, and having their lives be in these in these other circumstances, other places, other opportunities, they're able to do it because their work allows them to do it and let's not forget that when you're spending three to five thousand dollars a month in rent in an, in a major city. And you move out to these other locations, and your mortgage payment is eighteen hundred dollars. You're saving, call it two thousand dollars per family per month on your expenses, and that doesn't even count food and fuel, uh, electricity, or gas. Big deal. Big deal. These are massive amounts of savings and wealth going into the hands of 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 citizens around the world. They are making these choices. I am optimistic because uh, I, I don't think I don't think any government can stop this tidal wave of decisions. Okay, I got you. Brilliant, wonderful stuff. Thank you, hey, Bill. It's 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 never anything but, but wonderful talking to you.
0: That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com. And now we have a cousin podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Almost, a, almost a spinoff of this one, right? It is, yeah, actually, because
0: yeah. started, this started, really, with us talking to Conrad red black right on this podcast mm-hmm.
1: yeah and then conrad had an idea let's you know let's do this a little more often and let's invite victor davis hansen and then we thought you know why not make it its own show and so we've got scholars and sense that's the new podcast scholars and s-e-n-s-e right and we've got uh three episodes already uh you can find it at scholar uh you can find it at scholars and Com. so that's scholars and Sense. Com. you can also uh get it on spotify You can get it on Stitcher and you can get it on Pod FM. Anywhere you get your normal podcast, you can get it.